0: father of function. The one who developed Applied Functional Science, or AFS, is bringing his humility and wisdom to the Healthcare 360's best and brightest. Join Dr. Gary Gray of the Gray Institute and I as will talk about his strategy based on truth, not theory, mistakes from the past, the need for objective quantification, and how when the foot hits the ground, everything changes. Other topics include human biomechanics, the kinetic chain, the importance of gravity in the world of movement, and the all-important front butt. I'll call to action. If you're a physical therapist or a movement professional, please reach out to Dr. Gary Gray. Let him know that you heard him on the Healthcare 360 podcast. Then, go check out his programs, including 3D maps and the GIF program. All this information can be found at GrayInstitute.com, as well as in podcast notes or YouTube notes below. As always, be sure to share this podcast with others and provide your feedback. We love feedback. The more, the better. Your feedback really is starting to reshape how we deliver this content to you. So please keep it up. We really appreciate it. If you have a suggestion or would like to share your thoughts on Healthcare 360, be sure to reach out over email at burgess at or visit our website, newly developed just for you at scotteburgess.com. If you're a new listener to Healthcare 360, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts as well as YouTube. We release a brand new audio and video episode of Healthcare 360 every Monday and soon every Thursday. Can't wait to see you there. You may not know this, but Healthcare 360 has been selected and voted as one of the best medical podcasts you can listen to now and twice within 2020 alone. We have hosted some of the leaders in the alternative as well as traditional healthcare space such as Dr. Chris Davis, a top 100 physician, Dr. Kenneth Bach, who is considered one of the top pediatric, integrative functional doctors and medical detectives today, Dr. Paul Summerside, Bjorn von Siemens of the Siemens family, and Dr. Gary Gray, our guest on today's show. We're starting a new trend here at Healthcare 360 by taking a minute to appreciate members of the 360 Nation and giving a shout-out for the podcast review of the day. This is the five-star review from CT. 52171. We're going to nickname him CT. The title is Knowledge Beyond. Every episode is different, which can help guide the listeners. The guests are so knowledgeable in their fields. Scott does a fabulous job conversing with his guests and brings all topics to your level of understanding. Show is outstanding. Wow. CT, uh, I can't thank you enough for that review and taking the time to write that review as well. Uh, We really do try our best to to bring what can be tough topics sometimes and tough topics to understand to a more mainstream, digestible level that everyone can understand. Health is a tough topic, uh, so to be able to to tackle this in these conversations and be able to break them where we can have them broken down and understood is a challenge sometimes. So I really appreciate you bringing that out and, and bringing that to our attention. So thank you so much for that. Nation, if you haven't left a podcast review, a rating, or both, head on over to Apple podcast and when you do leave a review, be sure to take a screenshot of the review. Email that screenshot to Burgess at scott.e.burgess.com. Please include your mailing address. I will personally mail you an official Healthcare 360 t-shirt. These t-shirts are awesome as I'm moving away from cotton and over to Dry Fit for a more comfortable fit. At the moment, there's no international shipping; US only just for the time being, so be sure to go over and do that. Thanks a lot. These reviews help in more ways than you know. And it's the and driver of podcast longevity. Your review will help the nation grow, reach more people, and make more of an impact. So let's keep those reviews coming. As we announced a few weeks ago, we're on YouTube. As of this week, we have published over 200 videos to watch, including short clip deep dives and entire episodes, all for you, so be sure to check them out. Oh, and again, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, the notification bell, and give us a thumbs up if you like it or a thumbs down if you don't. Last but not least, all this information, including the contact information for the team at Healthcare 360 and Healthcare 360 guests, is included in the podcast notes in the website description at scottebergis.com. All neatly laid out, organized, and easy to follow. Michelle deserves a huge shout out for all of her amazing efforts. If you haven't already connected with Michelle, connect with her on Instagram. You can find her at M-I-C-H-B-U-R-G 12. That's Mishburge 12 on Instagram. She would love to connect with you and she can't wait to engage. So thanks for following her. As always, we appreciate you being here. See you next week for episode number 57 with Unmesh Charisteva when we discuss the rapid changing value-based healthcare models that are reshaping what healthcare will start to look like and models, frankly, that are already starting to be deployed as well. So be sure not to miss. Thanks again, this is Scott Burgess, and from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we'll see you for episode number 57, only on Healthcare 360. Dr. Gray, how are you, sir? Well, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of yours. Only when I started preparing for this discussion, I realized how much I heard about you when I was in college studying sports medicine and what you've done for the field. I just was like, wow, that's
1: him. That's that old guy it all came together appreciate all you're doing and appreciate all the uh information you're getting out as well so any way i can help you i'm in well i
0: appreciate that before we start our mutual friend says hello uh he gives all his highest praises towards you how's he doing he's doing great he's teaching me a lot of uh what he knows
1: he he knows a lot
0: yeah uh (laughs) it's almost overwhelming how much he knows
1: yeah no he's he's one of these sponges and the thing is what he does very well he learns from everybody and he is able to put it together and make sense out of it. So it becomes kind of his own take on it, which usually is better than I'll, I'll hear something that he learned from me, but now I'll learn what he did with it. And I'm going wait a minute. That's that makes more <laughs> sense and it applies better than what I did. So yeah, he's got that ability.
0: Yeah, he goes down to the fractal level. We keep we keep talking in fractals. I'm like, okay, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? We we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper down the kinetic (laughs) chain. So
1: that's a good way to put it. I haven't heard expressed that way, but I like that. That's a good one.
0: (laughs) It's a good one. I have subscribed to your email list. What I like to try to do. I'm always an entrepreneur at heart, and I noticed that the gift program, which is. All the different programs that you and in, the coursework that you put in, is that okay to mention?
1: Yeah, that's very kind. Yeah. Just whatever's best for your audience. I, I'd be happy to share whatever you think's best.
0: Perfect. After I left the sports medicine world, I have a family now, a family of four daughters, 15, 13, four daughters, 13, and 11. Yeah, we have a what, lot of what kids. What are
1: the ages? Give me that again. How many? What, what's the ages? Uh,
0: 15, 13, 13, and 11. We have a handful, my wife and I.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: So I left that field. She was also in that field as well. Uh, Now she stays home uh, with the girls and to make sure everything's settled there. For us, it's a blessing. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Since that time, now this is the last 17 years, I've been designing operating rooms and intensive care suites or any kind of patient environment inside hospitals. I graduated really? high school with architectural, and then I have a lot of training in sports medicine degrees at a Northeastern University. Whoa. And I put them all together, and I've been doing that ever since. That's unique. It's very different. Yeah, it's very different. So I'll have a, an audience somewhere between uh, 12 to 14 people, give or take, and architects, engineers, planners, physicians, and we'll go ahead and we'll orchestrate all this for them Wow! and put it all together. All my time in the healthcare space, I've realized and and seen all the significant gaps that are there. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying to myself, there has to be a better way. This can't be it. There's no way this can be it. Which prompted that question, traditional healthcare route versus alternative routes. Have you exhausted all those options? And that's where you came into play. Because I'm thinking about everything that you've done and everything that I've learned what's changed, what hasn't changed. And one of the podcasts I listened to in preparation for this was talking about back when you were practicing in the seventies and how you made some mistakes, but you were humble enough and really professional enough to identify where those mistakes were and have an open frame of thought, open frame of mind, et cetera. So I really, that's what I was looking forward to and what I try to bring to the table as well at the same time.
1: That's really interesting about the architecture. That's a challenge. Now, with the designing, you have to stay up on all the new technology because the, the size of things and the function of things drive how you put everything together. I mean, that seems a bit like a big challenge.
0: The best way I can describe it, I can hear something in my right ear, look at something else on my left side of my body, and I can just start stitching it together. Wow. And look at a room that I can see it that way. That's a gift. At the end of the day, I tell this to all my customers, is the only thing that matters is the CADs. If the CADs aren't right, then we've, (laughs) then we made a mistake. The CADs are the only things that matter. It resonates with them a lot. My goal is to have raving fans by the time we're done. If you had seen some of the projects that I've walked into $4 million later and you have a physician walk in and he goes, this isn't what I want. Your heart falls. Yeah. Cause it's not about him. It's actually about the patient laying on that bed.
1: That's hard to tell a physician sometimes.
0: Most of the time you have good rapport. I think out of all these years, they maybe had one one that wasn't exactly, wow. but there was some building restrictions in New York City. They had sandwich plate or what we call Oreo cookie base ceilings where they had a hard deck. They had actual sand in another hard deck. The mountings were off. You couldn't put mounts in certain locations in the, um, in the superstructure. That's, uh,
1: to me, that's fascinating. It's that, cool stuff. That, that's that's Over my head and way beyond my pay scale, but I still think it's fascinating. When you see it put together, you don't realize somebody like you had to figure this stuff out. It doesn't just show up and you just, you know, put everything together. Now, have you had any projects where like you, uh, with the healthcare system, you got to design multiple rooms or is it more kind of a onesie twosie or how, how does that work?
0: I've actually put together entire departments. Wow. We just did interoperative NGO suite they also had 12 new brand new ors we designed the entire floor we designed oh. the entire bidirectional comm systems the, oh my the workflow uh, everything from pathology over to the or we reduced the incidents where if a surgeon was in surgery and they had to get margins on a tumor or a biopsy before right. they would break scrub, go down to pathology, check it out, look in the microscope, and then go back, and it would take a long time. Now we can just sure. literally call them, dial in over video. They can look at the margins, they can get it in real time. Wow. That's they don't have to break huge. scrub. It's massive, massive. Yeah. Yes. What people are doing now, though, which is really interesting, is they're starting to combine interventional and interoperative in the same room. Wow. If you have.
1: Sense.
0: Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It, it, Sometimes one doesn't leave without the other. It's kind of like right. a, to a question I have uh, for you that I listened to on, on one of your podcasts with it, that was fascinating about how you talked that the foot's really not really the foot, the knee's the foot and the hip's the knee. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely want to dive into that. So we're going to get kicked off here. Thanks again for joining Healthcare 360. On the other side, I have Dr. Gary Gray. Let me read this bio for you all real quick. So he's the father of function. I can remember in my earliest days over at Northeastern University studying thought of training in sports medicine and learning about these different attributes of therapies. Never really knew who it was. And then all of a sudden, I remember the name. When I started putting it all together in preparation for this podcast, all these different reminisced memories started coming in. Dr. Gray is a leading pioneer and authority in rehabilitation and training. Dr. Gray is a well-respected physical therapist, trainer, educator, author, coach, inventor, and what I think is most importantly is an entrepreneur. He has an entrepreneurial mind and spirit. Uh, You just don't get that type of leadership skills without that kind of mindset. Uh, His strategy is based on truth, which is a neural and progressive movement, uh, which turns on and activates uh, above and below the joint. So the joint does what it's supposed to do. He's going to talk a lot about applied functional science. So AFS is based on scientific truth, it's not theory, of how the human body moves in all three planes. We'll talk about the sagittal, the frontal, and the transversal planes of the body and how that moves. We'll put it in the podcast notes. We'll make sure that we make it as digestible as we can. He looks at the most effective ways and the most efficient ways of movement. We'll talk about the hip and the knee and some of those examples that I mentioned earlier before really, really intrigued by that that one point. For more than 40 years, Dr. Gray and his institute has helped transform the practice for over 150,000 professionals, movement professionals in his respective fields. Dr. Gray, appreciate you coming on.
1: I'm sure I've had an introduction that comprehensive and that good. So I think we could probably almost put a period on it right there. That, that was good. <laughs> I appreciate that, Scott. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: My, my pleasure. Well, it's well-deserved. It really is. So I have a, a starting question for you here. And when the foot hits the ground, everything changes. What does that mean to you?
1: <laughs> I can already tell this is going to be a good one. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're off to a good start. What it means to me, why I'm smiling is because what it means to me, it's kind of intimidating. I know you probably heard me say that early on, I noticed a lot of my patients had feet on them. Mm-hmm. And when I asked myself, what are they doing to the person? What, what is the foot doing to the knee and the hip? Just I don't know. And I guess the big challenging question and then, and even for me now is, is it important? I believe it really is very important because the feet are the interface between our environment, the earth we live on and our human body. It's the thing that makes interaction with the ground every step we take and every breath we make, so to speak. And so uh, I think I've always had a foot fetish. I'm not sure if that was a, you know, a <laughs> perversion or just the fact that I just, I don't know, just kind of thought it was kind of cool looking. When I started studying the foot, I realized that a lot, there were two basic camps. And one camp was kind of the traditional camp, what we see the foot do on a table, how they describe the motions and what it does. And, and then the tough camp, the hard camp, is when the foot hits the ground, what it does then. And then the problem with that is, is that when it moves, so does everything above it, right. uh, including the temporomandibular joint. So when the foot hits the ground, everything changes. Is, it was a challenge then, and it's a big challenge now.
0: So you mentioned in one of your more recent podcasts that back in the 1970s, when you're working on one of your patients, what was going on specifically was that under just a suit, flat-lying supine, which is, means face-up position, everything looked great. Everyone, everything was in neutral. Everything was great. But then as soon as that athlete got up and they started doing performance-based movement patterns... All of a sudden, they started coming back with knee issues and then hip issues, and they weren't able to explode and accelerate. So what's the difference there? What were you finding?
1: It was a humbling time then and a humbling time now because there's a huge difference between the body, as you said, laying on their back, Mm -hmm. doing stuff, and the body outperforming and doing what it wants to do and it needs to do, whether it's an athlete, factory worker, mom working with her four beautiful daughters it doesn't matter what it is it's there's a significant difference what scared me is that i when i recalled most of my training most of my training was understanding human movement on a table all my manual muscle testing was on a table my range of motion testing was on a table understanding kind of the developmental sequence started on a table and almost finished on a table uh, a lot of the exercises early on were done laying down on a table and then realizing that that human being really never came to me and said, I want to be better laying down on my back. They came to me, said, I just want to go out and enjoy life more. Hmm. Uh, And the significant difference between, as you said, what the nerves do and what the muscles do and what the joints do was such a big difference. It's like, oh boy, can I take advantage of what I learned from my textbooks and schooling? Does that apply to the person standing? It became very obvious to me very early on. The answer was no. I wish I could say, yeah, I wish I could say, yeah. but in many cases, the muscles are not only different, but the opposite. At no point do the joints function the same. At no point do the proprioceptors react the same. The task at hand back in the late seventies and the task at hand now is to understand the body in motion, upright, fighting gravity, interacting with the ground versus the body overstabilized, laying down on a table. Big, big difference, big, big challenge
0: as far as when it goes to athletic based performance or just that could, that includes weekend worries, So let's not put it into a professional realm when mm-hmm. it comes to footwear. Mm-hmm. What do you find that's working really well in the current technologies that are being released and what's not working well? And what's popping into my head as we're going and really just traveling down this path and conversation is different types of cleats, metal versus plastic, et cetera. Like what are you finding there?
1: I just did a, uh, about a 30 minute video for our new uh, foot and ankle specialty on just that topic. So it's kind of fresh in my mind. Do you have time for a quick story to go with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. We love
1: stories. Okay. So I was, uh, I had the opportunity to work for a big, 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 big shoe company with their golf program. During that time, they asked me to consult a little bit, uh, in their biomechanics lab. And I was thrilled because I'm a biomechanics nerd and when you get to a lab, you can learn a lot. Yeah, you can. It, One of the questions, one of the marketing people had was, can you help us with marketing a certain type of shoe? I can can tell you the name of the shoe and you'll figure everything else out. But it was called a free, (laughs) name of the company, Free. So I said, well, tell me, I think I know the philosophy, but tell me more. And they said, well, we think we've structured shoes for some people too much. And we're going to try to free the foot up, you know, make the foot do a little more what it did back in barefoot days. And I said, okay, I get it. So let's go to the lab. We went to the lab, beautiful lab, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. And they showed me what they do and a lot of the things they capture, EMG, video, ground reaction forces, torsion angles, all just things that I, wow, this is really cool. I said, I can help you when you show me the data on the hips and the trunk. And they kind of looked at me and they, they go, hmm. no, you're, you're missing it. Gary, we, we're designing a shoe. We're looking at what the shoe does, so we look at what the foot does. And I said, "Yeah, but let's take, let's go to the next question. What is the function of the foot? It's to serve the body. And so the the whole goal of a, a shoe is to react with the foot to make the body better. And I said, right. the real thing a foot does is it makes the hip either more or less productive, more powerful. So if you can show me the shoe A that's structured versus shoe B that's free and show me the athlete and then show me the data on what the hip's doing and what core is doing, the thoracic spine, thoracolumbar fascia, abdominals. I said, I can really help you out because it's that freedom that creates more power in that particular athlete would be more meaningful. Their heads went down. They said, we don't capture that. Hmm. And I said, well, then you're missing everything uh, because the whole goal is to make a better athlete. You right. know, so you have, shoot, you, we, we have uh, this, <laughs> this, time of year, it's a, a good time of year if you're a physical therapist, because all the cute little kids get thrown out on the middle of a field and they get around this little thing called a soccer ball. Yep. And it's the first time ever they've worn these things called cleats. It hasn't rained for about four weeks and the ground is hard. And so now we create Aquinas on all these kids and they all get their first reaction of Achilles tendonitis. It's a thing of beauty if you want if you if you want to uh, have a lot of business. It's not good if you really care about kids and Hmm. you don't want them to have to deal with that. So one of the things we've come up with is for this individual, knowing the truth is every individual is different with different foot types, with different shoe types, with different types of cleats. Can you create a, a performance analysis where you could analyze the athlete doing certain things in those in that particular shoe wear to determine whether or not that's the best shoe for them so we get that a lot they come in they go well i got this shoe and i want this shoe which one's best for me the answer is well what are you going to do in it what kind of surface will you be on right and based on that i can i can help you so we've come up with uh based on our 3d maps analysis we've come up with a way that We can look at you and shoe A, then analyze you with shoe B. And the good news is I don't have to say anything because you'll tell me. It's the same thing I use now with orthotics. I've designed orthotics since the early 70s and probably have, I don't think I've killed anybody yet, but I've hurt a lot of people, not purposely uh, because I didn't understand what I was really trying to do. I had a foot fetish and I was more after trying to get the foot to do what I want. I forgot to look up at the hip and the rest of the body. And so now if somebody comes in and says, well, I have orthotics, is this the right orthotic for me? I can say, I don't know, but let's see. And we have a way to analyze it. So the the answer to orthoses intervention type of shoes, shoes with certain types of cleats or certain length of cleats, cleats that have a different relationship, rear foot to forefoot, different cleat patterns different shoes. We got the new Hoka roll off shoes. Everybody's got the roller shoe. Now they have early stage, late stage. We got different counters. We used to have Brooks back in the seventies that had a various post on every shoe. Mm -hmm. So the problem is we don't know until we evaluate it. Now we have a tool to evaluate it. We now can say, well, we're going to put you in this environment, have you do these movements, then put you in the, what we call the mega environment, have you do the movements. Our job is to number one let you know what shoe's the safest. That's my first concern. And number two, what shoe you're gonna perform best in. Usually those end up being the same thing. And number three, now we'll go, you know, how does it feel? How does it smell? Does it match your uniform? So sure. you know, <laughs> it's kinda of like the golfer goes in and puts some shoes on, walks in the golf show and goes, These are it. And I'm going, but you didn't even do anything in the shoes that facilitate the stresses of golf. <laughs> <laughs> how do you know that's a good golf shoe for you? And I, they just look good. You know, I wear right. gray a lot. And you know, so, so it's, a, it's kind of fun now. It's humbling again. I hate to use that word. They always say, somebody who says they're humble, is probably the biggest braggart of them all. But it's when you've been beat up as much as me and uh, made as many mistakes I've had, you can admit it and go, before we really didn't know what to tell you about shoes or orthotics or that interface. But now we have a pretty good, pretty good idea what to do and how, you, how to help you individually figure out what's best for you.
0: Here's something. This is specifically for my mother-in-law. Beautiful. So last Christmas, we bought, not a Peloton. I actually did my own review on a Peloton versus the NordicTrack indoor cycling bike. Yes. By all means, at the time, NordicTrack was, frankly, a year ahead. Right now, Peloton has caught up. The question is, a lot of people are, especially due to covid and gyms shutting down or temporarily or intimately being shut down, they're really hardcore on either elliptical machines because it fits in the door of their home or, more specifically, the indoor cycling bike. Uh So people are in a, a seated position the entire time. Most of them have the indoor clickable or hard shoes that click in. What are you finding with injuries there? And specifically, I know that when someone's in a crouch position for a long period of time, they're shutting off the hip. And what the hip can do, what should they be doing after that?
1: Yeah, I can answer that real quickly. Have you ever seen uh, somebody in a triathlon get off their bike and start running? (laughs) And and that's that's the answer. Uh, So the the good news is something that motivates you in your house to burn some calories and interact now, like with the Peloton and and different things, are good versus doing nothing. But you brought up a really key point, Scott is. What is it doing for what we call our global movements? Right. So you you zoomed right in on it. The weakest link in the entire chain that we don't take good care of, and that I really desire, especially young kids, to take care of, is what I call their front butt, and that's exactly what you were talking about. The front butt is really important in walking, in running, in playing, and kicking, and doing most of what we do. And so when you look at an environment that you're doing something in the question I always ask is, so what are you doing to help lengthen and strengthen my front butt? And for those not really understand what I'm saying about front butt, go ahead and stand up and just kind of extend your whole body. And that's lengthening your front butt extension. And then just kind of take your hand side to side, and that's taking your butt and making it go through ab and adduction, which especially with the abduction, it lengthens the front butt. And the big one is rotation. So just take one hand and really reach up beyond like you're going to try to touch something here. And I'm really exposing my left front butt when I do that. And when I do this, I'm exposing my right front butt. What are we doing to keep that healthy? Because that's the weak link in most humans, just because of what you already know. Sitting, mm-hmm. uh, being crouched for an hour, getting uh, the bike hard. What I love the way you ask the question is, wait a minute, they're going to do that. So what would you do maybe afterwards? Right. I say, as soon as you get done afterwards, we would have them do what we call a three-dimensional front butt hip stretch. It's kind of funny because I have, Mm. um, you look right here, I got my indoor bike with the clips and everything here. (laughs) And right next to it, I have a thing they call a stretch station. It's just like a cage kind of thing. Yep and it's rare that i don't get off the bike go right there and lengthen everything that i just got done shortening my next thing i want to do probably is go walk my dog or maybe take a jog or luckily my grandson still wants to play basketball with me so i get get to go out and play basketball so the question i ask myself on the bike is that good yeah burn calories yep did i get stronger for things i want to do on the bike yep does it give me some good positive things you bet but you hit it right on the nose I might want to afterwards just make sure that the things I just got done crunching and shortening, I might want to just make sure they're lengthened and open up, get my thoracic spine open up, get my hips opened up. And even though my ankles have been flipping, I haven't really done it much for the subtalar joint. So you hit it right on the nose. I would concentrate on just getting that front butt going.
0: other reason why I'm bringing that question up is because most people wake up in the morning, they do their normal morning routine, They sit down, they eat breakfast. They stand back up, they get changed. They sit in their car for whatever their travel time is from point A to point B. That's from home to destination. They stand up, it takes them a few minutes. They sit down again, turn their computer, and then they start their meeting schedule. If they have meetings or if they're stuck in a cubicle, they're sitting down for a high majority of the day. The ileo as, or we like to call the tenderloin of a cow. It is. Right. Is just shortened all day long. And it's not being stretched. It's not being activated, more importantly, and it's being underutilized. So then eventually, when people start talking about why do I have a low radiating hip pain or low back pain, that ASIS is now rotated. That there's muscles that are overcompensated that are more triggered than others. A lot of people who are sitting down, like, oh, I did, if I can just get a bike or just do something at home, all they're doing is replicating that same movement pattern. Mm-hmm. And they're not exercise on the opposite side for balance. Yep. To keep it simple,
1: if you're listening to this podcast, just listen to that over because you you got a lot of pearls in there. Not only the the, the iliopsoas or the hip flexor, there's a, some other what we call front butt muscles, but essentially it's what we call three dimensional muscle. It not only gets lengthened, and I would love the word you use even better, activated by getting lengthened in the sagittal plane, the kind of the front and back plane. But more importantly, because it's the iliopsoas that comes from the spine and the pelvis, it has to get activated in the frontal plane. So we have to combine our frontal plane motion. But the biggest plane that, again, the books don't even talk about for the iliopsoas, and what's interesting, if you look at a cadaver, as that thing enters into the femur, it rotates on itself almost 30 to 40 degrees, which yeah. should give us a big indication. Its primary function is rotation. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, during the day, lengthen the hip and extension, At the same time, ab and adduction, even more importantly, go deep into rotation, which we don't, you're creating a dormant front butt, and it not only needs to be lengthened, but people can go online and learn, go to YouTube and go hip flexor stretch. It'll only show you one dimension of stretching, but you said it best, after I lengthen all three planes of motion, now I need to activate it because a muscle who gets, gets stretched without saying, and now I'm going to give you the confidence to take advantage of that new length, is a muscle that's destined to get short really quick. Right. But if, if I take you and I I mold you out a little bit, now I give you the confidence to take advantage of that. We call that mobility with stability or most stability. Then you're going to have a hip that goes, oh, so this is what you want me to do. And you hit the nail right on the head when you said, that's going to limit the possibility for the low back pain. We're mm-hmm. finding out, again, it's the weak link that causes a lot of the major causes for ACL tears, uh, labral tears what they call the sports hernia or the abdominal tears, primarily low back pain, spondylolisthesis. It's the weak link there that, you know, think about school. First thing the teacher told us in kindergarten is, please be quiet and please sit down. What you hear every year until 12th grade? Please sit down and be quiet. Right. And then if you're real fortunate, you got to go to college and hear the same thing. Not only in work, but our whole first 15 years of our life, we've been told to inhibit the movement of our body and say, well, good luck in life. And that's why I think we see a lot of debilitation now. We see a lot of people my age struggling. We right. see a lot of joint replacements. We see a lot of people that just aren't well. So you hit it right on the head.
0: The other thing, too, that I, I noticed, and this is more recently, our mutual friend, he just came out and says, don't do that range of motion anymore. So 45 years old, and I still love Olympic lifts and power cleaning, and I love sure. doing it. At the same time, I did start noticing different joint movement patterns that were off. Mm -hmm. So he'd come out and say, get a kettlebell or a dumbbell, lift it asymmetrically. He was, your body's asymmetrical, so why don't you just do what it wants to do? Right. And I looked at him and I said, of course you would say that.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. And of course, he was right. So I started versus doing presses that were with both right and left side. Now I just focus on from left foot to right side and the vice versa and on top of that i started just working on into my routine transversal motion patterns yes. anything in rotation the back pain the hip pain uh, or the just the, i shouldn't say pain but the tightness has yep. dissipated almost to nothing
1: well you got good advice Olympic lifting's great people when they study us a little bit they go well, they must be anti-Olympic lift or anti-bench press or anti-clean and jerk or anti no those are solid ways to get people really big and strong and powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're proven. But we would go, in addition to that, to complement that so your body doesn't break down and so you don't create the patterning that you experienced, that most Olympic lifters experience. We're going to do something that will complement that, believe it or not, it'll give you a bigger foundation to lift more. That's always music to their ears, but more importantly, to create the natural mobility that you need so you don't have that secondary tightness a secondary problem and that involves what we call going deeper going opposite and distracting which you just described beautifully go a little more asymmetrical get a little more rotation involved get through some different motions to complement that so don't give up what you enjoy doing but we're going to complement it with something that's going to make it even better and so what basically shared with you is the power tweakology She says, well, we'll take that, but let's look at how your human body's really made. And we're going to tweak it with different asymmetrical weight loads, different reaches, different triangulations, different stances, more predominantly right when you go rotate left. Mm -hmm. And so the advice you got was wonderful advice. That's kind of what applied functional science is all about is going, that's great, but how do we make it better? And more importantly, how do we make your body even better when you're 55 and when you're 65 and when you're 75, right? Your daughters are already loving you and and active and just want their dad to be healthy. They're going to want you to be healthy in 10 years. And in 20 years, when you have those grandkids come along, now you got to kind of go, okay, it's the grandkids that look at the grandpa and go, okay, do you still got it? Right. And obviously we want to still got it.
0: Here's something else that I've learned. It's glorified nowadays to have a big physique. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. So you see the, Men's fitness magazines and these big chesties, these big arms. So, what if you're able to do that, get the same output result without all the mass and the inflammation? Would yes. You, would you do <laughs> Would you do it?
1: <laughs> yes, you yeah, if you could do it, and uh, at the end of the day or during the day, even feel better, and like you say, don't create the uh, repetitive inflammation, and literally look better. I am mean, in other words, more proportional and symmetrical, mm-hmm. but still have the look, Sure, you know, because again, it's all about the look, but if you can combine look, <laughs> as you just said, with function and you can combine the look with comfort and you can combine the look with performance and you can combine the look with prevention and you can combine the look with longevity, that's your preference. Now, the question is strategically kind of how do you do that? In other words, what, right. what do we need to do in order to accomplish that? And, that, again, that's, that's the power Tweakology. How do I get that same beautiful look, but now it's like we had, we had a gentleman in town. He's still just a, an inspiration to a lot of people. He was one of our best basketball players at one of our universities. And just from a movement standpoint was just beautiful, could move and dunk and do all kinds of things. And then he got into pure bodybuilding you know, all the isolation and stuff and literally got to the point where you didn't even like to see him walk. And, you know, he could barely touch the bottom of the net and he couldn't enjoy life anymore. And it's like, eh, we probably might want to either ease up on that a little bit. I understand the concept, but we need to combine that with some things that are going to enhance your life and still look cool. Good news is he looks cool now and plays tennis and, you know, so it's kind of fun.
0: Oh, that's great. As far as what's changing in the field, in your field specifically, field of physical therapy and human movement, AFS, what's the biggest thing that's changed and what do we have to look forward to? I know a lot of computer science and AI and biorhythmic analysis is going to come into play. How fast is the changing? Can we keep up? Is it correct? Is it non correct? Uh, How much do we believe that computers is going to take over for that versus when it's really not going to because it's still the human body and you need one to know one?
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, again, we're getting into a lot of things you have a lot of expertise in. In our field, we're probably the slowest moving field as far as technology, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. I'll pick on my own main profession, a physical therapist. So if you go into any physical therapy center right now and they analyze you and they prescribe a treatment program question you have to ask yourself is how much technology did they take advantage of? Answer zero, nada. And how objective is that therefore? Not objective at all. We're a very subjective profession. How much has it changed in the 45 years that I've been here? Very little. The tests that I took 45 years ago, the state board is really, really close to the ones they're taking now. And ask yourself, even the field of medicine, if you went to an orthopedic surgeon and say, okay, you're going to take your state board examination. Now, compare that to 10 years ago, they'd say it's completely different. The technology is different. What I do with the scope is different. How I interpret Mm. an MRI is different. High diagnosis is different. The technology we have is crazed. What I even put on my head during surgery is different. Everything's like, wow. But if you go in our field, personal training field, physical therapy field, performance training, it's like, Wow, video from 45 years ago still looks pretty good now because not much has changed. However, if we are going to what I call compete, we're going to have to use technology to assist us, not replace us. We need technology to make me a better athletic trainer. I need technology to make me a better therapist. I need technology to make me a better performance trainer. And what do I mean by that? Well, technology we now can utilize to identify all three dimensions of motion at a joint in order to quickly identify what are the maybe the limited links and or the weak links, which we need to know. We try to do that with our eyes, but at least I know from myself, I'm not very good at that. Hmm. Uh, I can't see, we, we figured out there's 66 motions I must see simultaneously if I'm going to effectively evaluate somebody just doing, let's say, a lunge with a reach. Something as simple as that. Wow. And I and I can only see one in one plane of motion. With the way technology is now, we need to get together with technology. And you said the magic phrase, AI, artificial intelligence. And we have to start driving things to a cloud and having the cloud look at the difficulty with we're not robots. We're all, I mean, we I know we say this, but we all we all move different. So the cloud is gonna have to take a look and say, here's what I'm seeing. Uh, here's what you're reporting. Here's what then you just did. Here's what I'm seeing now three weeks later after you just did that. Send information back to me and say, Gary, you were way off. Okay. Yeah, I I realize that. Mm -hmm. But I need guidance and direction. Well, you need to go after that part of the body in that plane in order for that movement to be better. And you missed it. And so I need objective quantification of that. We don't have that. We have videos of people jumping. In other words, the global thing. But that doesn't tell me you know somebody jumps you know and has a 39- inch vertical jump, I still need to know, okay, if they have to jump and get a rebound way over there, and now, how well are they doing? But more importantly, if I want to get them from 39 inches to 40, where do I go in the body to do that? And what plane of motion? Is it the mid-tarsal joint? Is it the first ray? Is it the subtalar joint? Is it the knee? Is it the hip? What part of the spine? So we don't know that, but I'll give you a hint. That's kind of what we're pursuing. Because we just think that, you know, subjectivity has gotten us so far, but the world's going to demand objectivity and they're going to demand the why behind the what.
0: Yeah. If agreed. we're able to
1: give that, then believe it or not, we'll get better insurance reimbursement. Because right now insurances are going, eh, I'd like to trust you guys, but I don't, you know, because <laughs> we need to make a lot of money and you don't. I know the patient takes the hit or the client takes the hit. You know, Just think of yourself going into to a, uh, let's say a big box health club and a personal trainer comes to you and says, well, I'm going to assess you and I'm going to take you through a program to make you better. Well, what you want is assessment that's just for you, Scott. Nobody else. What was Scott put together? Right. Uh, what's your history and, and how does your body move? And then Scott, tell me what you want to do better. And you need that technology to come together and give that personal trainer recommendations when you look around, you're the only person doing this. You're not on a machine because no one looks like Scott. No one moves like Scott. No one has your goals. And technology, in a nutshell, if utilized properly, is going to make us heroes as opposed to replace us. We have to have a strategy of what we call capture and crunch. What are you going to capture? How are you going to crunch it? How are you going to mm-hmm. interpret it? As far as our profession, we're way behind the curve, but we're going to hopefully uh, the next five or 10 years, whoever can capture Having technology benefit us, I think it's going to be the winner. It's not going to be winners and losers, but whatever group is going to be able to do that, it's going to be able to say, we're no longer hypothesizing. We're no longer saying, well, I do this, why? I don't know. It's because we do it. And right. we do this, why? I don't. And we're successful. We're all kind of successful. I have a saying. Patients get better in spite of me. I've studied enough things that I've done with patients over the years. I've done all the wrong things and they still get better. So I can't say, well, I do this because they get better. Well, that's not a good thing. It'll get there. We got a lot of work to do.
0: You brought up an old emotion that I had about the relationship between insurance and physical therapy. And it's not that physical therapy is bad because some people are like, oh, it doesn't work. It's that insurance does not allow for the patient to be there long enough for the progress to be made effectively and by design. Now, if someone's doing a a bad set of skill assessments or they're not a good therapist, that's one thing. But if you've only been approved for six visits or eight visits and you expect a miracle to happen after a total knee or an ACL reconstruction... You just destroy the kinetic chain, and for those who don't understand that term, a kinetic chain is the knee bone is connected to the hip bone, and the hip bone is that whole from the foot all the way to the top of your skull. It's true; the whole kinetic chain is just destroyed at that point, and everything needs to be rebuilt and remembered. That's probably the stronger word is remembered because your body is not going to forget how to do it. It just needs to be put back into sequence. If those who are going to physical therapy in Just pay out of pocket and do the right thing for your body long-term, that's what's going to benefit you, not the six to eight visits that are approved.
1: The sad thing about that is the reason insurance companies do that is my fault. I mean, my fault by any any therapist that's probably over 50 years old, that's been practicing their whole life. We killed the golden goose. Mm. Back in the day, we just kept doing things without good documentation of functional progress and they paid for it. And then they finally said, no, okay, we're going to reduce that to 20, because I, I don't believe you have to be there for two years. Yeah. Uh, and then we, get, we still didn't prove it. Everything was subjective. All of a sudden, they go, well, we're not getting the documentation we need. Uh, therefore, without that, we're going to go down to six. And as you say, it crossed the threshold where it strikes an emotion, simply saying that there's, and we're going to assume it's good therapy, not what I would call protocol therapy. I can understand sometimes people come in and so what's wrong with you got a diagnosis, they go get a sheet of paper and the therapist follows a protocol. First of all, that's shame on us. You know, if you go to school for that long and you're called a doctor of physical therapy and you follow a, a protocol on a sheet, mm-hmm. you got to look yourself in the mirror. That's, that's about all I'm going to say about that. Sure. But we, we, again, my generation of physical therapists didn't quite quickly realize that, wait a minute, the insurance company's in charge here. And we're not providing for them what they've been asking for. And therefore we're going to take the hit and we're taking the hit yeah. and we're taking it financially. But at the end of the day, our patients are not getting what they need. A study uh, from WebPT came out that said 90% of patients who really need therapy now don't get it. That's a big number. Yeah. I'm not sure they came up with that, but let's mm-hmm. even say it's 50%. And then the other number is I think the number is close to 85% of patients don't complete their prescribed care, which means if you do have 10 treatments, they don't finish that. That's a big question, Mark. Why in the world would you all of a sudden only go to five therapy sessions or eight and not finish the 10 that are covered by insurance? And then, of course, the big number is the number of insurances that are limiting where The number might even be 100% of patients who need continued care don't get it because the insurance company cuts them off. Mm. Those are not good numbers for our profession if you're in the world of physical therapy.
0: I want to bring this up because it was a really interesting conversation and it happened out of nowhere, but I had some folks out of Madrid, Spain reach out to me. It was episode number 48. We just had them on and the name of the company is called ThermoHuman. They're using thermography. Beautiful. As one way, now, it's a hard piece of software and a physical piece of software measuring skin temperature based on neurological input and response based right. on activity. There's some progress being made there. There's some yes. stuff with that. I can't talk about because it. It's not public right. record yet, but they're using it yeah. with professional sporting teams, soccer specifically, and they're getting some big data reports back. And I think that may be the first wave to the AI input into the physical therapy sports performance world
1: we've seen some other things like that of muscle density kind of analysis where they'll i had a professional golfer come in a couple of years ago and he had this beautiful scan of an MRI of the density of the muscles of his hips one versus the other mm. and said look at I'm asymmetrical I got this and this and therefore that's why I'm not hitting the golf ball the way I want and But the question still boils down to, and even with the thermal testing, the reaction that my body gives and gives out heat, we have to keep asking this really simple question is why? So, why does your report look like that as far as your muscle density? Why is there a heat uptake on the anterior lateral part of your right hip versus your left hip? Because if we just say, well, it's there and we're going to try to change it, you have to give me the why before I can go change it. For instance, let's say, your hips working harder, it creates more heat uh, because you have a rigid subtalar joint on that side. But you see the heat uh, flash up in the hip. If you don't have the ability to understand that it's the subtalar joint, you're gonna probably go after the heated joint. You're probably gonna go after the symptom. It's a good start, it's gonna give us some really cool symptoms. We know how significant heat in the body is and what it's gonna show us on inflammation and recovery and muscle activity and even neural response. But the question that everybody's got to keep asking, when you see something, keep asking this next question. So why is that? Because I need to go treat the why, not the what.
0: And that goes back to what we are talking about early about keep going in that fractal development. What's next? What's next? You got it. T you find the root cause of it. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Earlier on, I, I mentioned, and I'd like for you to kind of describe this a little bit, because this is what I think is the most profound statement that you explained, the foot's not really the foot, the knee is really the hip, and the hip is really the knee. Walk us through that. Why is that?
1: On one hand, for fun, but on the other hand, it might be the uh, most obvious thing in the world if you look at a skeleton, and, and don't give it a name. Just look at a skeleton, and I, I know I got in trouble with this whole concept because I I have this bad habit of trying to tell stories to get a point across, and sometimes the stories make fun of people i usually try to make fun of myself (laughs) because i probably made more mistakes than anybody else in the industry sure i don't know it's because i'm dumb or i might try a lot of things and i'm getting old but we had in our profession a few years ago a group that really worked hard which we appreciated getting a funding to see if the hip influenced the knee when i saw that i just laughed i go unless you fracture the femur right in half the answer is yes so the whole <laughs> hypothesis of the study was, is it possible that hip weakness could cause knee dysfunction? Well, of course. Of course it can. I don't need a study for that. Yeah. But then the study proved, believe it or not, when the knee moved, the hip moved. Well, that's, we call that the femur. On one end of the femur, that big femur bone, it's called the hip, and the other end is the knee. So the hip is the knee, the knee is the hip. The scary part about the article was it was done standing, functional, the study was. But then they said, well, because of hip weakness, then we're going to do these protocol exercises. And then they immediately laid the person down and did clamshells and strengthening, at which point I went nuts because I'm going, you guys just missed the whole thing. You missed your whole study. While standing, movement of the hip influences the knee and vice versa. Therefore, while standing, you have to analyze their mobility and stability and decide what deficits at the knee, at the proximal femur, causes Problems at the distal femur, really easy to do, almost too simple. But don't all of a sudden go, hey, we got eureka information for you all. Our study proves that the hip influences the knee. And we'd go, well, duh. And again, if you were part of that study, now we're kind of a butthole, which I can understand. You know, Gary's making fun of us. Sure. Yeah, kind of. You know, I'm making fun of you. I think you spent a lot of money proving something and then coming up with a, a strategy that you just missed the whole point. The whole point is the body's a chain reaction. You stand up right now, Scott, and I ask you to take your right hand and just rotate it around the corner, your left subtalar joint lever. You didn't ask your foot to move, but so is the hand the foot? Yes. Is the foot the hand? Yes. If I say the ankle, which is the tibia, and the knee are the same thing. Well, of course they are. The tibia go, well, yeah, but not exactly the same thing. One's closer to the floor and one's further away from the floor, but the knee would say, I do nothing without permission from the foot and the hip zero nada right and that's why we always say the knee is caught in the middle a few places to go and no place to hide so on one hand in the world of isolationists in the world of traditional training in the world of how I was trained in physical therapy you would say wow that's a amazing statement that the foot is the knee and the knee is the hip and but to a kindergartner they'd go are you kidding of course it is look at it look <laughs> you know look at that thing move you know that's you know my robot when I wiggle his, his head look at his hips and his his feet move. And so, yeah, he's a connected thing. He's a human being. He's interconnected. There's interregional dependency. Some people kind of now call it, we just call it chain reaction, or you properly called it the kinetic chain.
0: So I know that you utilize 3D mapping, looking at the hip, the knee, and the hip as you do with those tools. What specifically are you looking for? How is the technology going to be transformative? That goes back to our AI question. Your your
1: (laughs) your your question is so good that um, I'll give you the part of the answer. It's almost like I can't answer the whole thing. What in our world? There's things out there called movement screens. Yep. There's been a pretty good one out there for years. I can use the name because I admire the people and their passion and their caring is equal to, if not more than mine, the functional movement screen. When I first saw it, it didn't look functional to me. In other words. Get on all fours and point like a pointer dog, I kind of scratch my head and go, I don't know how you want to define function, but I don't do that during the day. Function has to be at least something I would do during the day. Most people are doing the day. I'm pretty sure you didn't do it today. Nobody did today. And then laying on your back and lifting your leg up to test the hamstring, that's not functional. And then five out of the seven tests, there's no movement. Okay, we got no function and we got no movement, but it's a screen. We'll buy the screen because there are seven easy tests. And when I ask them about it, they go, yeah, they're not really functional, they're not movement, but they're the best we got right now. The Gray Institute, we go, hmm, what if we can do better? So over the number of years, it took us a long time. We, first of all, instead of going out into the industry and grabbing seven tests that have been done traditionally and try to put them in a box that had no meaning whatsoever, we were collecting an apple and an elephant and a pickle and (laughs) calling it three, but three what? Well, I got an apple and I got an elephant and I got a pickle. I I don't know. Depends on what you see. I see the elephant. The elephant's pretty big, but I didn't see the pickle. So you can't, first of all, combine those and get a number. Now they admit that. So the real question you got to ask yourself is what is a screen for? A screen is to determine the giftedness of your body. How then I go through a decision process on what I'm going to do with you next. So I go in the emergency room, they screen me real quick. Why? Because they want to do it with me next. Has Mm -hmm. he had a heart attack? Right. Uh, Do you need an injection? Does he need another test? Does he need this certain type of medicine, what does he need? That's what a screen's for. And so when we came to go to our screen, we basically started asking some questions. What do we want to screen? And you just hit it right on the nose. The one thing I want to screen are the hips. And so do I want to screen the hips and just the sagittal plane, uh, like most people do, or do I want to do frontal and transverse? And the answer is you yeah, have to. Walking is mostly frontal and transverse, so just walking, let alone anything else. I would be
0: more into the transverse, what's rotating and what's not, because that's what's going to cause lockup.
1: You got it. And if you watch somebody walk, we walk through the transverse plane. We think we're sagittal plane because we're going forward, but just for fun, get on a scaffolding or let somebody walk over your face, and you'll see 99% of walking forward is transverse plane, like you just said, because of the rotation of the pelvis forward. It's just rotation. And then we got this really cool frontal plane sway. And oh, by the way, there's some excursion in the sagittal plane.
0: Well, you just hit the nail on the head there too. If someone was walking on a singular planar motion uh, or beam, 99% of the people who first attempt are going to fall because they don't know they're rotating on a single
1: plane. You got it. Yeah, can't say it better. That's a great analogy. If you whiteboard what you need and no one disagrees with it. So the people who have come up with their screen and now... The NASA people now have come up with their screen and they have green lights and yellow lights and red lights and and their screen might be less functional than the other screen. No, 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 no. We're not playing that. What we want to do is objectively applied functional science. We want to say, let's throw all the personality crap out of here and let's just go pure science. So if I went to a biomechanist, an engineer biomechanist, better yet, an architect, okay, who really knows the insides outs of things and said, I have this thing called the human body. And I want to know how it functions, how it moves. You would say, well, movement occurs at joints, correct? So you have to let me know what the joints do and what joints are critical. Well, how do you define a critical joint? A critical joint in the human body is a joint that will impose a demand on another joint. In other words, if I hurt my thumb, I'm pretty good to go. I can walk my dog, I can play basketball, I can do all kinds of things. If I hurt my hip, not good to go. Okay. It limits everything. The hip is what we call a critical joint. A biomechanist, anybody, would say you have 11 critical joints in your body. I agree with that. Then they would say, How many degrees of freedom do the engineer? And I'd say, What, well, six degrees of freedom? All of them? Yes. Okay. Now you've got yourself a problem. Because if you want to look at just the flexibility of the mobility of that human being, and you're telling me you have 11 critical joints and you need to see 66 motions in other words six degrees of freedom time 11 you're telling me that with your screen and that's when they're starting to laugh at us going screen can't be a screen if you're gonna look at 66 motions that's a daunting task and at first we said yeah that is and then they said but you don't want just to know the range of motion or the flexibility or the mobility you want to know can that robot use that joint for a purpose can it control its body weight can it take a step can it lift a weight I go, yes. So they say, so you want the integrity and the stability of the joint as well. We go, yep. Now the engineer's laughing at us. 66 motions of mobility, 66 motions of stability. You have 132 things you want us to figure out in a screen. I go, well, ideally. And so what we did is we stopped then and we saw, well, what is our competitor doing? One competitor covers five out of the 132. And another competitor covers seven. So we thought, well, if we can do better at seven, we're going to start to win. As we played with this for a little longer, I want to admit, we realized there are six mm-hmm. movements of the human body that expose all 132 motions. Really? And that's how we came up with 3D maps. So we called it three dimensional integrated chain reaction neurological mapping of mobility and stability. And so if the question is, what do you want to know about the hip? Everything. What do you want to know about the knee and the foot and subtalar joint, midtarsal joint, everything? What do you want to know about the thoracic spine, lumbar spine, cervical? everything? What do you want to know about the shoulders, everything? If one group has five, the other group has seven, and we have 132, just from an engineering biomechanical standpoint, we win. Not that we're after wins, but just from if you're going to do a screen, you might as well screen all 132 things instead of just five. But I would. If you had all of a sudden came to me with a headache. And I go, well, tell me more about it. Well, it's really bad at night, and I, well, I'm kind of suspecting a tumor here. But let's go get a brain scan. But you can choose one of two brain scans: one that gets three percent of your brain, or one that goes and gets a hundred percent of your brain. Which sure. do you choose? That's as they would say a no-brainer. Our point is, if you're going to scan somebody, scan them with a 3D movement scan and get all all 132 motions, 66 mobility, 66 stability, because then that human being's going to show you where his or her giftedness is. Now you notice I went after not where the barriers were, the weaknesses, but your giftedness. Right. Because when you then decide what to do, I'm going to build upon your giftedness, Scott. I'm not going to pick on what you can't do. That makes absolutely no sense to anybody. But a lot of people go, well, you can't do that. So that's what we're going to do. Can't lift your leg on that table. So you didn't get a three. We're going to cram that baby up until you can get a three. It's like, why? That's not what my hamstring does. This is not the context I work in. Right. This is not the function of my hip. This is O for 93. Why am I doing that? And they go, well, that's what the certification said. Not a good reason. So our approach is, thankfully, extremely different than everybody else's approach. On another hand, that scares people, especially if they get certified in one thing and we come and go, we're going to challenge you now. We're going to ask you some tough questions. And one of the first ones is, why are you doing that? They didn't tell me why. They just told me to do it.
0: That's Beautiful. where where I get curious, and I actually invite, or I wouldn't be challenged or feel challenged or something like that. Learn more. If you learn a different perspective, and if there's some way to gel two different sides together or figure something else out, that's where progress comes from.
1: Beautiful. What do you think about this? Let's say you and I disagree on something. Sure. You think up, I think down. Okay, and somebody with your wisdom goes, "Well, here's how progress is made." Instead of let you two talk about that let's bring you together and you share with the audience why you say up okay gary you share with the audience why you say down audience now you can ask the questions because they're not going to be real clear i know i'm not going to be real clear what's confusing you get to ask questions right after the audience asks questions scott you ask me why i say down i get to ask you why you say up at the end of the day few things could happen i change my mind and go scott's right it's up (laughs) You know, I'm I'm sorry. I was wrong. Big deal. You know, again, nobody died today. I was humbled. Happens a lot. I was wrong. Big deal. Let's move on with life. Or you might say Gary was right. It's down. But that doesn't really matter because our egos are going to take over a little bit, especially if we've been defending. You've been defending up and I've been defending down. Sure. But the audience is going to know. The audience will immediately know. Let's just for fun say to the audience, this is going to be a really cool thing. And a lot of you will show up and we're going to charge you for it. Scott is so passionate about up and Gary's so passionate about down that you guys are going to want to hear them present their case. You're going to want to ask your own personal questions. You're going to want them to see, go after each other. They're not going to hurt each other. They're not going to punch each other. I'm going to challenge why you say up and you hopefully you challenge why I say down. But at the end, you guys get to vote for who won. Not who won, who are you going to follow? And most smart people say, like you said, I'm going to gel it. There are some things that Scott said that make sense to me, some things that Gary said, but but we push it a little more. But if you had to follow a train of thought, would you follow up or down? Let's say they follow yours. Well, we're going to take, let's say a 1,000 people show up and they spend $500 to show up. We got $5 million in a thing. You guys in five minutes get to decide who to donate the $5 million to, hmm. American yeah. Children's network where we can serve 142 hospitals for kids. A St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital where we can help kids with cancer. Doesn't matter. But Scott, you don't get to keep the money. I don't keep the money. And the benefactor is going to be the kids who get the money that are, we're going to hopefully save some lives. The real benefactor were the people who showed up to see us argue. I guarantee you, you and I are going to hug at the end, maybe with masks, but we're going to, you, know, we're going to, you know we're going to hug and we're going to appreciate each other. We've asked to do that with our competitors in the in the movement world. We've asked the people with the one screen and the people with the other screen to do that. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, that'd be very they, cool.
1: They won't show up.
0: Ugh, that's a shame.
1: Why would you not show up?
0: <sighs> one would be ego. Two would be because you would think that your proprietary technology is so on top and unlike everything else, it, that people be afraid to, to lose it.
1: it. Yeah, I didn't give you a chance to prove it.
0: I think it's fair.
1: We offered to do that. We offered to get together in a room and say, we were in a lobby and we brought that up. And I had a number of people. This is a personal training conference. And every one of them said, I'll show up because I'm confused. You know, I believe these other people because they're very smart. And I'll give you a hint, they're smarter than I am. Mm. But I don't believe in the techniques they use. That doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means I don't believe in the techniques they use for their screen. I use a whole different type of technique. The two really don't mesh. You'd really have to, in this case, choose one or the other. What we do and what they do don't mesh. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we got in a room and we could have this cool debate and you guys get to ask questions? We'll make it a two-day thing. At night, the first night, we're going to have this party. Everybody's going to appreciate each other in the movement world. And we're just going to hopefully be an encouragement to each other. But at the end of the second day, you all have to choose. And if You choose them, they have to choose a benefactor for the, in this case, it'd be a couple million dollars. If they happen to choose applied functional science, we will donate that. I'll pay for my way to be there. You know, I don't want to get reimbursed for that. And we thought we were onto something until when they asked the other camp and they said, absolutely not. And I'm going, what? Bad news is these people, they they don't have a big ego. (laughs) In fact, their ego is less than mine. They're wonderful people. Uh, (laughs) They've got money. Uh, because if all of a sudden I prove that my screen is better, you're not going to buy their screen. Most most answers come down to money. And sure. I guess in a way I understand that, if I knew my screen was based 100% on science and there was based 100% on seven traditional tests that have been out there for years that don't make sense together, I wouldn't want to argue with me because you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with science Yeah, and you'll lose, you'll lose that argument. Now, if you just argued with me, you'd win because I'm, I'm a dumb butt. <laughs> and i'm not that smart so i, I wouldn't you know, say that I, I'm but smart enough to follow, i'm smart enough to follow the science and i'm smart enough not to follow my own brain but you know being in your position with these really cool healthcare 360 webcasts you might be able to get the other group on and then say hey we had this dingling on not too long ago and he has a challenge for you and then you sponsor this get together
0: we can That's do kind of fun, a gary gray gray institute debate with company X or screen X with a neutral healthcare 360 host? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> there you go. And uh, the good news is both the main people in charge of both those, those groups, our competitors, mm. are wonderful people. They care as much, if not more, than I do. They're better looking than I am. Uh, they both could probably kick my butt. The only thing, again, that what should intimidate them is I just don't agree with what they're doing as a screen. I just think it's not functional. It makes no sense to me ours is entirely different and so if we could leverage the differences as you say in order to benefit people who want to learn and benefit I, literally you would get a lot of people who would log on to that baby and uh, or back then it would show up let's say we're just charged for a, a full day of what we call a 360 now i'll give you a hint on the one person's name without saying his name but i admire him greatly and you know he's somebody that just has done so much for the profession again people have to understand i'm not attacking the person I'm attacking the techniques because I don't think the techniques are based on a strategy. I thought it'd be cool to call it shades of gray a function because one guy has gray in his first name and one guy has gray in his last name. And so I thought that might be kind of fun to fun to do that. Uh, <laughs> they, they didn't even think that was funny. So, you know, sometimes I think I'm funny and I'm not. And again, it's just like I said, he's the coolest dude in the world I and mean, he's done so much for, for all the professions and it would be kinda of cool though. I've always thought about just calling them and saying, let's just do it privately. And if you can prove to me that your screen's better, I'll tell the world that I'm going with your screen. Yeah. If I can prove to you my screen's better, you tell the world. Maybe we can come together instead of being Pepsi and Coke. No kidding. Maybe, maybe we come together and really uh, consolidate this thing. So That's where know. the magic
0: happens. It's really it's where the magic happens because there's going to be takeaways on both.
1: Yep. There is. And what's interesting is when they go past their screen and they get into actual going to work on the body, I agree with most of that, how they take it to the next layer, how they get there from the screen. I have no idea. But when they get to that next layer and they go to work, I look at a lot of that and I go, Ooh, you know, I love that. And in fact, there's a lot of things I've learned from. One of the things I've learned as an old guy is if you have a competitor, respect them and learn from them and honor them. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Right. Right. You can respect somebody not 100% agree with what they say. And so that's what we've done most of our career. We'll look out there and see some wonderful people doing some wonderful things and go, our goal is to keep learning because if you're paying me to educate you, you're assuming that I'm staying on the cutting edge. And I can't stand the cutting edge unless I know what my competitors are doing too. So we keep a close eye on that.
0: I want to get to a, a little bit of a different question that I think will be really important for a lot of people. Why is the pelvic floor of the hips? so closely assimilated to the roof of the base of your skull and the disorders that are associated with that. So a lot of people, for example, wouldn't imagine that a, we've seen this in the textbooks, that a TMJ disorder is aligned or a result of a bad lower back or hips that may be off. That's, yeah. that's the old textbook theory of it. Where does that associate come into play? I know it's a big one, but a lot of people <laughs> are forward no, posture, round shoulder, forward neck and it is evident to have great posture and control and motion in the jaw and the skull and the cervical spine as it is in the hips
1: well it's a profound question and if you keep asking the question you'll keep giving us the answer let me ask you this you, you said rounded shoulders and kind of a forward protruded head and yeah. tension on the temporomandibular joint and there's a relationship down at the hips and all of a sudden, the one question I, and again, I do this on my seminars, I, all of a sudden I thrust my head way back and I throw my shoulders way back and I stick my chest out. And I say, a patient came to me last week and complained that their chest was hanging out way too far and their head was way too back and their spine was way too extended. And this is what they look like. Of course, everybody laughs. Right. And I said, correct. That's never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's. You don't see that. Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent, or let's call it a hundred mm-hmm. people, fall into that other category of kyphosis, forward head posture, limited hips in all three planes of motion, especially the transverse plane, pelvic floor dysfunction, urinary incontinence, uh, lack of control. Even we'll go to the thoracolumbar fascia, the transverse abdominis dysfunction, thoracic spine inhibition in the transverse plane, base of the cranium dysfunction, atlas axis dysfunction. Part of that answer is gravity. We live in a world of gravity, unless we've been taught how to utilize gravity to facilitate a reaction against gravity, we're going to fall into those syndromes that are connected. When you say that, we can see somebody. I I actually see that patterning a person. I don't see the opposite. I don't see the chest flying out. And so we have a saying at Gray Institute, uh, who's our biggest competitor In the world of human movement, the answer is gravity. Gravity. Who's our greatest friend? Gravity. Same. Same. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic. I am too. So (laughs) what did you just say? So we have to use gravity to lotus against gravity. And that's something that we've missed. But we have to use gravity to lotus, not only in the sagittal and the frontal plane, but especially for pelvic floor disorders, temporal mandibular joint disorders, and shoulder disorders. That's a transverse plane disorder. Now, it looks sagittal plane. Because we're deformed in the sagittal plane, but the mobility weakness and the stability weakness, the mobility influence, lack of mobility, and the stability, lack of strength, we find delves down into the subtalar joint, the hips, and the thoracic spine, and the shoulders. And when we can clear that, believe it or not, as we clear it, like you're finding out with your rotational cross-section lifts that you're doing asymmetrical, Mm -hmm. you're applying that principle. You said, instead of me just driving a sagittal plane, I'm predominantly on my left foot and I'm reaching up with a weight here and coming, loading, exploding. And all of a sudden, even sitting, you have good posture. So posture is a result of what happens dynamically. And what happens dynamically is our, our body's ability to fight and then take advantage of gravity, mostly in the transverse plane complemented with the sagittal and frontal. So that's why we see those patterns that are so common associated. We see that same hip dysfunction causing the headaches. We see the same head posture. We see TMJ problems. We see cervical problems. We see it's like, okay, but we got to ask ourselves in this human being, in this person, who's the chicken or the egg. And sometimes I can answer that. Sometimes I can't. So I, Basically, scramble the egg and fry the chicken. I gotta, you know, do both <laughs> at the same time. So, right. your question is a beautiful question because it's the question reveals an awareness of the interrelationship of everything in the body, and that we have to fight this thing called gravity and ground reaction force and mass and momentum. And unless our assessment, which 3D Maps does, and our training, which 3D Maps does, and our performance training, which we do, and our prevention training and our rehabilitation training understands that's a primary principle of human function. And if we don't take advantage of it, we've missed everything.
0: Here's uh, one of the last ones. How do you deal with the emotional component when it comes back into the systemic problems that the human body takes on? That's never been introduced into physical therapy. And if it's starting to, it'd be news to me. If someone's having a bad day, just leave it as simple as that. There is an emotional response and hindrance to the body have you dealt with that before? How do you address that?
1: Believe it or not, now we have a thing called a gift program. It's a 40 week mentorship program. I'm not honking that horn, although if you talk to a gift fellow, they'll honk it because we learn from the best of the best in the world over the last 14 years. And this will be our 15th year. So I like to bring it up because people like you who take gift, I learn from. And so selfishly over the last 15 years, I've learned more. And one of the very first things we did in gift is somebody asked us that question. How much does the emotional behavioral science component fit into the science of human movement? And I said, I think it's pretty big. Uh, I lied. It's everything. Everything. Uh, It's not pretty big. For example, last year in our second or third week of our gift fellowship, the opportunity that we had as gift fellows was to describe in your life and the life of others, the emotional component that drives movement in your body. Does it allow you to move or does it inhibit you to move? Does it cause you to want to work out or cause you not to want to work out? Does it encourage you? Does it discourage you? Does it engage you or disengage you? Does it empower you or take the sap away? Our gift fellows came up with 280 behavioral drivers that they believe in. 280. And I'm going, wow. And when you look at them, they're all exactly as simple as I had a bad day. Does that influence? Yeah. Look at my shoulders. Yeah. Look at my head. Look at my skull. Look at the blood flow. It'll be fun for that thermal imaging company just to even play with that. Walk into the room and and look at your kid and go, hey, you suck. You can't jump. You're not going to make the travel team. You're good for nothing. Why are you even here? And then, you know, have somebody else walk in the room, same kid, and go, you know what? You are gifted. You know, just because you can't run as fast as somebody else, no big deal. But you're a wonderful young lady. Wow, you have a lot of skills. And you'll see a difference in the thermal imaging, let alone how they move. Let right. alone whether or not they're going to be a kid that's going to go home and kill themselves. I mean, there's a bigger, there's a bigger, there's a bigger story out there other than the hips getting tight, and that is in our country over the last ten years, the number of kids who have committed suicide ten to thirteen is double. Yeah. We need to ask why. We just can't keep giving statistics. The number of kids who are getting obese and depressed has—I don't even know that number, but we know it's huge. It's, so, at some point, as movement practitioners, we got to sit back and say. Yeah, this is fun to make somebody run fast and big, strong and big, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But is there a bigger purpose that we should be looking at here all before we die? Is there literally ways that we can use, as you say, the emotional component, the behavioral drivers within the world of human movement in order to facilitate the desired reaction we want to let somebody know that they have worth and dignity? And so they don't go home and blow their brains out, or worse yet, go home and shoot somebody else. I, I think I, don't, I don't have that answer. And melodramatic on that one, but no, it's it's, a fact. it's necessary.
0: Yeah. But it's one word. There was a gentleman who we had early on, and he was excellent. He was talking about diabetes, Doctor Gray, and I said, "So what's wrong with the healthcare system?" In your opinion, he goes, "It's designed around one word." And I said, "Okay, uh, I'm listening." He goes, "Payment." And I never really thought of it that way. And I said, yeah. So when you just mentioned that question about the emotional component and why all those statistics are the way they are, my one word is TV or access to content at that matter. Content that's worthless. That's not really moving someone forward. They're not learning from it going forward. That's where I think a lot of it comes from.
1: I agree. You know, years ago, there was a... uh literacy problem, at least in the United States, where they found out that 80% of kids couldn't really effectively read or write. The government at that time, believe it or not, it was our government, got together and said we, we can't have that one. So they instituted a learning program in school that was designed to teach reading and writing literacy. Okay. Now there's different ways they do it now and different techniques, but the bottom line is if you stay in school, it's kind of odd that you would get through school and not be able to read and write now because they have a concerted effort at making us what we call healthy in the, the ability to read and write, and then ultimately reason and communicate and talk. At the same time, movement literacy and emotional literacy and social and emotional literacy and generosity literacy has gone down. Hmm. Well, why? Because we don't hmm. teach it. Right. You have four beautiful daughters I can guarantee you when they come home from school or if they have the opportunity to engage in lesson plans from you or your wife, and I say to you, so Scott, what's your greatest desire for your daughters? You you would say, I definitely want them to be happy. I want them Mm -hmm. to be healthy, but if I really was pushed, I want them to be hopeful. And I'd say, "What, what do you mean by that? To always have hope for a future, have hope for others, to be able to give generously and learn. I had a guy in my office just yesterday, and we were talking about education and curriculum. And I said, here's the bottom line. I said, when my kids came home, if they came home and they were excited about movement and exercise, and they wanted to go rake my neighbor's yard for free because they wanted to give back, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. If they come home and they, you know all they can do is add and subtract and read and stuff, that's okay. But as far as contributing to this thing we call earth and human nature and loving each other, it's not going to get you to where you want to go. So your concept of what, what it's needed there, there's got to be a systematic approach to let every child know they're gifted Mm -hmm. and not give them labels and to let them know that they were made that way for a purpose and they were wonderful and they're awesome just the way they are. And our job is to bring out the giftedness, to pour salt on them and shine light on them. But in addition to that, I believe we then have to take that and transform that health and wellness giftedness to the ability of kids to give back because that's when kids really all of a sudden realize their purpose in life and they have hope when they realize they can help the kid sit next to them, when they can coach them, when they can uplift them, when they can encourage them, when they can engage them, when they can literally do something where maybe that kid's going to eat or even more important, find out the kid comes to school and doesn't have a sweatshirt and now they get to give them warmth and just be there for them. And so You can tell our passion is to take all this movement crap, you know, that we've been learning for the last 45 years and leverage it into something a lot bigger where movement Mm -hmm. is part of the physical, but you hit it beautifully. The mental and social, the mental and spiritual, the mental and emotional part is even more of who I am as a human being and drives the physical. The question is, how big is the emotional? Everything.
0: Everything. Wow. Well said. My gosh. (laughs) To wrap this up a little bit, you've been doing this for a long time, and you have a library of knowledge in that brain of yours that I'm sure, including myself, I would love to be able to get a cord, dock it in, and just just download. (laughs) (laughs) What would you suggest reading, or what are you presently reading to keep yourself educated, to kind of keep going?
1: I'm one of these, uh, I don't think, weird uh, people that won't really go to a movie unless a friend tells me to watch it that I trust. I don't watch a lot of TV, but my wife enjoys every once in a while this thing called Netflix. And uh, so <laughs> somebody will recommend something, and usually they're spot on. They know my personality. Yeah. The same thing with books and videos that I watch. I, I just I don't think I'm smart enough to go figure it out myself. So I depend upon my friends to kind of guide me. What you do when you get old? It's easier to prioritize, and so. When you say, Well, I have the choice of either reading this or reading that, or watching this or watching that, or doing this or doing that, as you get to a certain age, I believe, and I wish for me it was earlier than it was. But the question is, will that create an opportunity of greater significance for someone else? In other words, if I learn something, will I be able to, then to be able to give something better to somebody else? Mm. Uh, will I be able to serve somebody a little bit? Will I understand my life and my relationship? again, in, in my world, to my God, uh, to my Lord, will I understand that better so I can maybe serve the person better? Can I be a better therapist? Can I be a better husband? Can I be a better dad? Can I be a better, you know, selfish? I want to be the greatest grandpa in the world. And so I'll watch videos that kind of lead me that way. I'll read books that kind of lead me that way. I get a couple of newsletters a day that I'll read. There's a few devotionals that are sent my way to make things life a little easier. So it's kind of a, a smorgasbord of stuff. But if you had to categorize it, it wouldn't be biomechanics. It wouldn't be, I'll read a little bit of that. I have to stay up on the studies. So I have to, again, I have one of my, my brother in the Lord, the guy that really is instrumental in my understanding of a lot of things, Dr. Dave Tiberio, he'll help me with that. He'll see, he'll see a great article and he'll say, you, you need to read this one. I know you don't like to read research, but this is this one either confirms what you've been saying or refutes what you've been saying. And I like the one that refutes what I say, because then mm. I go, crap, I was wrong again. Right. <laughs> uh, if the, if the research article is good, I'll, I'll look at it pretty closely. When someone trusts you, if somebody's, <laughs> I remember the first time my wife came to a seminar, she stayed for about a half hour and then she left. And then during lunch I found her and I said, what you doing? She said, I can't believe anybody would even pay money to come and hear you speak. And she was being serious. And I go, well, I can't either. But since they are. I got to be the best I can and I got to I got to know that I'm giving them my best. And therefore, I have to I have to hopefully stay on the cutting edge of what they want to learn. But I also have to stay on the cutting edge of maybe what they want to learn, but don't realize it yet. And a great a great part of that is uh, I'm reading a book might even be up here. It's on just the mindset of athleticism and the mindset of movement and how dominant the emotional component is and how dominant the sports psychology component is. And I think that has application to my patients, to my clients, to my grandkids, to everything. So I try to do things where I can be a conduit of whatever I'm reading or learning that it's going to hopefully get to somebody else. Because, you know, when you get old, you realize you ain't going to be here forever. And Mm -hmm. so the whole goal is to pass the baton on. So yeah. my job for you, Scott, is to pass the baton to you. I'm Absolutely. passing the baton to you, buddy.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan and his podcast. I think he does a lot of great things. The biggest attractiveness of that for me is just how open he is. He had a statement. He says, look, I'm at a certain age, and I'm starting to realize that my days and weeks and months are numbered. Mm-hmm. And what I decide to do with my time is has to be really thoughtful. When you combine that with uh, Dr. Wayne Dwyer, when you realize what you think about manifests to what you think about, you're really careful about what you think about. <laughs>
1: yeah. Can't say it better than that. In a way, all of our days are numbered. We, you yeah. know, When I was young, I didn't know, good Lord, could have taken me a lot sooner. You just don't know. And so the whole concept, live like you're dying, it's easy to say, but it's easier to do when you're older. Yeah. If I have any recommendations for Young movement professionals is uh be the best you can be, constantly invest in yourself in order that you can as we say enhance the lives of others. Don't take yourself too seriously, but take what you do seriously, giggle more, be more of a kid. life's going to go by fast, just enjoy it, and know that you're blessed when somebody as kind as you, Scott says, "Hey, I just want to share with you on a podcast, and let's have some fun and that's an honor so I, I really appreciate that,
0: oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much before we go. We wanted to talk about the coursework and what you're doing at the Gray Institute. How can they sign up? I know that they can go to grayinstitute.com. Uh, why don't yeah. you talk a little bit about the coursework that you're offering and some of the separation between the courses that you're offering?
1: And in a nutshell, we have the enchilada, which is called <clears throat> GIF, 40-week mentorship program, where if nothing else, we become strong friends during that 40 weeks. And if you're interested in that, I always say, suggest talk to at least three or four Gift fellows before you invest time and effort, money into that. I certainly wouldn't without talking to somebody. That's the big enchilada. We have two certifications. One is our 3D maps and one is what we call CABS, which is more of the local approach. 3D maps is looking at the whole body and figuring it out. And CABS lets you zero in on specific things. Then we just started a bunch of specialties. We have specialties in golf and soft tissue and active aging. We're just launching one on foot and ankle. Uh, The female chain reaction pelvic floor that you mentioned. And we just launched a new app that's a very powerful app that keeps you on the cutting edge of movement. And it also gives you the largest library of movement in the world of over seven or 8,000 exercises that you can use and gives you a tool to reach out to other people. We wanted to make the app the most powerful movement <clears throat> app in the world, so we just launched that. Uh, and all that propaganda, you can find at GrayInstitute.com. But I would encourage people if they have questions, just to email me and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Because our goal is to provide the best education possible. We're not saying other people aren't great. They are. But I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for Gray Institute. So we work our tail off it, hopefully providing the best education in the world.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. And I have downloaded the app. I haven't got into all of it yet, but it's pretty intuitive one and it's pretty digestible when i say digestible i mean it's easy to relate to yeah. and understand yeah which is important because I, again i go into the context of this as not everyone's going to understand and if the listeners can't leave with an understanding of what they just listened to then you failed and that's not what we yeah, want to do nope.
1: yeah i think you did a great job letting them do that that's one of your gifts so well, i appreciate that. the reason that your listeners listen because they they get a lot out how you create the environment to facilitate what you want them to learn.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Well, I have the last question for you. The final word is yours, whatever you want the audience to leave with.
1: So that's pretty easy because I just like to reemphasize the kindness that you demonstrate for your listeners, that you are very kind and patient and seeking different people out with different thought processes. And your job is to create an environment where you ask very, very, very good questions. This is, you're a pro at this. And you use your understanding and skill set to get to the next question and build upon it in order that your listeners will benefit. And so my hope and prayer is that as a result of this podcast, somebody out there benefited. Somebody thought of something that maybe somebody to call up and thank or to go and do something for, or, you know, just something. So my last word would be hopefully my first word and ask thank you for what you do. And your contribution to our profession and all the things that you do, including being kind enough to let me be your guest today.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening in. Really appreciate you as always. On the other side, we have Dr. Gary Gray of the Gray Institute. You can find him at grayinstitute.com. We'll put all the information that we spoke about in a nice detailed, organized podcast note format youtube video format so you can just go and reference anything you want to look at and explore i would invite you to go and explore and just have fun with it in the world that i started educating myself with and michelle as well my wife michelle by the way dr gray she also graduated from athletic training and sports medicine so we share the same brain actually i'll tell you a funny story when it came to no i didn't at the time understand that i had dyslexia didn't get it i i, I just thought i would just wasn't that smart anything with functional movement or anything that had an interaction i was a whiz he couldn't stop me came to books i was scratching my head sometimes I'm like, I'm like can i really do this <laughs> now on the reverse side of this michelle is a genius i mean rocket scientist really sure so we're taking the cscs exam uh, right after mm-hmm. college. So we took our coursework and everything's going through. So during the exam, she's asking me about the movement patterns of the Olympic lifting. <laughs> so, sure. and I'm explaining to her, not even reading or referencing. I'm just saying you wanted to boom, boom, boom and going right down the kinetic chain. And she's like, okay, guess who passed? And guess who failed? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you saw that one coming.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah. at the end of it all, uh, what I broke down about myself and my test-taking patterns is that I overanalyze questions. I don't take them for the question that they're being asked in. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, hold on. If someone <laughs> says, is the sky blue, it, that's a pretty 50-50 response that someone's looking for, yes or no. And I'm like, well, what shape?" Yeah. And what exactly. shade, but where that line the spectrum of that shade. And that's how I break things down. Uh, I yep. keep going fractally, which means in the beginning of this conversation, when we went back and right. we'll talked about fractals, where it yep. all comes from. I didn't even recognize exactly. it until just recent. It was fun. That's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, Dr. great. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, uh, buddy. I really appreciate day. it. You too. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: I really enjoyed getting to know Dr. Gray. He is very humble. And his passion to pass the baton and to empower and encourage others is infectious. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed this conversation, give this podcast a share and write a review. It really helps out the show. And don't forget to take a chance at winning an official Healthcare 360 t-shirt. We're now live on YouTube. You can find us at Healthcare 360 with Scott E. Burgess, and you can check out all of our podcast recordings. There are full recordings as well as short clip deep dives when you don't have time to listen to a full episode when you're on the move. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we'll see you for episode number 57 with Unmesh Sharisteva, CTO with P3 Health Partners. As always, thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of the 360 Nation. See you next time.